Welcome to Thomson Reuters Down the Hall with Practical Law, the show that provides practical insights and expert know-how on trending legal issues. No legalese, just expertise. And here's your host. Hello, and welcome to Thomson Reuters Down the Hall with Practical Law. I'm your host, Haley Arundel, and today we're here to talk about Practical Law the Journal, a print and digital magazine that is a companion to our online legal know-how service. The magazine has emerged as a staple in the legal industry for its coverage of complex legal issues, trends, and law practice management. We publish two versions of the journal, one covering transactions and business issues, and the other covering litigation. Today, we're going to focus on Practical Law, the journal litigation. And joining us here today to talk about it, we welcome Megan Crowley Chu, who is the deputy editor of Practical Law, the journal litigation. Welcome, Megan. Thanks for having me, Haley. Great. Well, thank you for joining us. Um, Would you mind telling our listeners a little bit about yourself and how you joined Practical Law and what you did prior to that? Sure. I joined Practical Law, the journal before its second issue about five years ago, and I have been part of the magazine team ever since. Before joining Practical Law, I was a litigator in private practice. I focused on commercial litigation and some soft IP, as well as a fair amount of regulatory and white-collar investigative work. Great. Well, we welcome you to the journal, and we know that your experience as a litigator certainly adds some interesting flavor to the magazine. Um, But we'd love to kind of hear about what's going on with the current edition of Practical Law, the journal litigation that hit the stands as of April, May. What can our readers expect to see? That's right. Well, this is a really great issue and one that we're particularly proud of. Our cover feature was authored by a rising star in the trademark litigation community, Megan Bannigan of Debevoise and Plimpton. And in this article, Megan addresses some less than obvious challenges with proving actual confusion in the era of digital evidence. So to set the stage a bit, the crux of most trademark cases is whether or not there is a likelihood that consumers will be confused by the defendant's use of a trademark that the plaintiff believes infringes or dilutes the plaintiff's trademark in some way. Actual confusion occurs when a person, as a result of the similarity of the party's marks, mistakenly believes that the alleged infringer's goods or services are the plaintiff's goods or services, or are somehow affiliated with or approved by the plaintiff. So evidence that the consumer was actually confused can be incredibly persuasive to the inquiry. And actual confusion evidence can also be relevant to other aspects of the trademark case, such as secondary meaning or a plaintiff's entitlement to damages or other monetary relief like the defendant's profits. So in the article, Megan details how courts have traditionally treated this type of evidence and how modern forms of evidence from internet reviews or posts are raising new challenges for litigants and courts. From my perspective, I was really struck by the struggle that courts seem to be having in weighing and crediting modern forms of evidence. Traditionally, this type of evidence came from testimony of consumers. More and more, we're seeing evidence of internet posts or Yelp reviews. In any event, it's a great read, and the cover image happens to be just a personal favorite. That's great. I'm sure certainly a lot of great takeaways for uh, practitioners who focus on digital litigation. Um, Absolutely. Far, too, too many to detail. <laughs> I imagine so. Um, 
So the next feature is actually something that's also incredibly timely. We're talking about trends in privacy and data security. Um, I know that that's something that we do annually, and our readers often love to hear what's going on in that space as well. Yes, that's a great lead-in. Jeffrey Newberger of Proskauer Rose authors this piece for us every year, and it, it is something that our readers look forward to. This year's update offers an overview of the state and federal regulatory landscape and its continuing evolution, along with information on key enforcement actions by federal agencies. It also describes some high-profile litigations, including the ripple effects of the Supreme Court's 2016 decision in Spokio v. Robbins, which really impacted the way that standing and statutory injury are addressed in these large class actions. And the article also identifies trends for practitioners to keep ahead of the curve. And of course, no resource on data privacy in 2018 would be complete without a discussion of the Global Data Protection Regulation, um, or what we call the GDPR, and other international developments. There have been a lot of changes in this space in the last couple of years, and the GDPR is now in effect. So this is a great resource to read right now, particularly given the prominence of privacy issues in our current environment. I'm sure. I I know even for us as kind of U.S. marketers, we certainly have had to think really hard about GDPR and what that means for our international, you know, potential prospects and customers. So it's it's certainly timely and incredibly important given the significance of the potential fines out there. We also have another kind of annual feature that you guys have covered in this edition around antitrust federal merger and enforcements. Yeah. So this is a great piece that was authored by two of our in-house expert attorney editors, Christian Lorenz and Christina Lin, both of whom practice antitrust law for years at some very high-profile firms. The article is a thorough and timely update on how various federal agencies, including the Department of Justice and the FCC, are approaching antitrust enforcement in merger scenarios. This has been increasingly active in recent years. It also includes a Q&A with Andrew Foreman from Paul Weiss on antitrust merger enforcement trends and how the new administration has impacted enforcement priorities at different agencies. It's only an excerpt is included in the magazine, but the full resource is available online. Perfect. And so for all of our colleagues who focus on e-discovery, we have a a regular bulletin that you guys use to feature um, individuals who really specialize in this area. Who did we talk to this month? Yes. So as you said, this is our recurring column for all things e-discovery. And e-discovery guru Craig Ball contributed the article on preserving data from iPhones. So this article is technical, but it is clear and precise. It has screenshots. It offers model directions that counsel can send to custodians so that custodians can collect their own data without having to relinquish their phones which again, you know, we talked about privacy before, that is often a big challenge in getting counsel to really do fulsome collections. This is exactly the kind of guidance that I wish that I had when I was practicing. You know, I I am an e-discovery geek, so it's natural that I'd be drawn to this type of resource, but it is incredibly helpful in figuring out a defensible but comprehensive way of collecting mobile data which is something that I think a lot of companies really struggle with. 
Great. And for those of us, or those of our listeners who are unaware, we include a number of interview sections in each edition of the magazine, and they all serve slightly different purposes. So one that's kind of up first is of note, and that covers substantive legal issues. Who did we interview this month? So this month, we sat down with the great Richard Mattiaccio from Allegart, Berger, and Vogel. And we talked about why New York's profile as a hotbed for international arbitration is on the rise, along with what practitioners need to know about conducting these proceedings in New York. And, you know, it's worth it just to read his anecdote about an arbitration that was able to happen uninterrupted during Hurricane Sandy when half of the city lost power. That's amazing. Um, I can't even imagine. Um, yeah, you just, you, you can't, you can't argue with the work ethic in New York. <laughs> not at all. That's amazing. So we also have checking in, and this is a brief Q&A with a member of the Practical Law Advisory Board. The advisory board plays a very important role in helping our attorney editors provide customers with the legal know-how resources and efficiency solutions that they need to support their practice. Um, The advisory board members offer regular feedback and guidance on topics that they think that our attorney editors should develop. Yeah, so... I like the checking in section. This issue, we profiled Stephen Warren from Holland and Knight. Stephen is a relatively new addition to the Practical Law Litigation Advisory Board, so it was great to catch up with him. Personally, my favorite part of these Q&As is learning about the early mistakes that these accomplished professionals made and what they learned from it. So pretty much everyone has their own horror story from being a junior associate, and it's always reassuring to know that they came out on the other side smarter, more experienced, and better able to navigate their career. Perfect. So tell us about the in-house counsel file. So the in-house counsel file is our Q&A with head litigation counsel or GCs where we talk about legal developments in their industry and working with outside counsel, as well as career advice. This issue, we profiled Tracy Preston. She is the GC at the Neiman Marcus Group. And with this, I really love hearing about what these individuals might have done had they not pursued a career in the law. And I always find their advice on how they found an in-house position to be really helpful for people who are considering a shift from firm life to in-house life. Certainly. And I imagine there are lots of of our listeners who would love to learn a little bit about that transition and and how they make those moves. Um, The next up is kind of something I think that's probably very near and dear to your heart as a former litigator and former law clerk. Um, It's called The View from the Bench. You are right that this is near and dear to my heart. I love this section. It affords me the opportunity to connect with some of the most esteemed jurists across the country. This issue's Q&A is with Judge Allison Burroughs of the District of Massachusetts. She has some really great tips for practitioners on working with technology in the courtroom and offers an interesting perspective on what she thought being a district court judge would be like before she was confirmed and then what it was actually like after she became a judge. She's a really engaging person, and I think that that really comes through in her profile. I'll also add that we always ask judges in these Q&As to identify pet peeves and best practices for practicing in their courtroom. So I highly recommend if you are practicing before Judge Burroughs, take a look at this profile. She's got some particular preferences. 
Sounds great. I'll uh, certainly give a shout out to our Massachusetts practitioners and readers. Please take a look. All right. I think I have just one more question for you. There are some other regular features that we generally include in our practical law of the journal. Can you mind giving us just a quick update on what those might be and what people can look forward to hearing or reading about? Sure. So we have something called the speed read section, which is basically a best of the best roundup of legal updates that our services publish on a daily basis. It gives you a good sense of some key case and rule-based developments across all of our practice areas, from corporate and M&A to real estate to arbitration. So in our recent issue, we cover things like appraisal risks for dissenting shareholders, the vesting of retiree health benefits, and you know Yellowstone injunctions in New York. So it really runs the gamut. In every issue, we also showcase some of our core litigation content. In this issue, we included a sample motion for a mistrial that's based on a standard document from our website, and it really gets into the weeds on the type of information that should be included in the motion, along with the documents that counsel might wish to append to the motion. The practice note that we included in this issue is a comprehensive overview of evidentiary issues in federal court, including some good background and context on asserting hearsay and relevance objections. It's really a must-read for every associate, as well as for any partners who might want to brush up on the latest case law. And finally, the checklist in this issue offers step-by-step guidance on how to draft a deposition notice, as well as how to serve that deposition notice, depending on the jurisdiction. Additionally, we have, for the first time ever in the magazine, a new section called Local Counsel. This is our opportunity to showcase our growing collection of jurisdiction-specific resources. Here, we focused on e-filing in New Jersey. So mandatory e-filing just went into effect in New Jersey, and frankly, it's a lot more complicated than a number of attorneys might realize. The magazine offers you a checklist on how to comply with these new rules from serving courtesy copies to registering for an account and pretty much everything in between. Perfect. Thanks, Megan. This has been great. And it sounds like we have another great edition of Practical Law of the Journal available for our readers and our listeners today. If they want to learn a little bit more about Practical Law of the Journal, where can they find you and how can they learn more? Well, we certainly would encourage people to learn more. You can find out more about Practical Law, the journal, on the Practical Law website. You can also access a digital copy of Practical Law, the journal. Um, The link for that should be in the show notes. And if you have any questions, please feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn. I am available and always happy to connect. That's Great. And I hope you get a a number of new invites on LinkedIn as well. Um, And so that brings us to the close of our show. I want to thank you again, Megan, for joining us today. I also want to thank our listeners for tuning in. And if you like what you've heard, please rate us an Apple podcast. Until next time, I'm Haley Arendelle, and this has been another edition of Thomson Reuters Down the Hall with Practical Law. If you'd like more information about today's show, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. Subscribe via iTunes and RSS. Find both Thomson Reuters Practical Law and Legal Talk Network on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Or download the free app from Legal Talk Network in Google Play and iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, 
Thomson Reuters, Legal Talk Network, or their respective officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, or subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.